begin to the gospel according to Luke, a 14th chapter. Uh, we're going to look, dealing with a series, if you will, moving from membership to discipleship. And so as we look at this text, we're going to look at Jesus teaching into the crowd in Luke 14 chapter, looking at verses 25 to verses 35. We had you read in the, in the, in the morning, this morning reading, hearing Jesus teaching into the crowd. I'm going to now lift up in our hearing verses of 33 to verses 35 for us to get the summary of why Jesus was teaching while he was teaching. I am reading from the New Living uh, Translation. Those who may not have a Bible, there's some available. Uh, also, we have New Living Translation Bible. So if you do not have one, amen, we'll make sure you have one in your, and those who are able to stand and honor the reading of God's words, we welcome you to do so. Reading from the New Living Translation. If you're not there, say, hold on. Amen, amen, amen. I heard one say, hold on. So I'll wait. It was muffled, but I heard you. I'll wait. Amen, amen. Amen. If, if you're all there, then let us say, let us begin. Amen. Word of God says, New Living Translation, Luke 14th chapter, starting there at verse 33. So you cannot become my disciple without giving up everything you own. Salt is good for seasoning, but if it loses its flavor, how do you make it salty again? Flavorless salt. It's good neither for the soil nor for the manure pile. It is thrown away. Anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. Praise God for his words. You may be seated. The subject matter we're going to deal with this morning is discipleship costs. Discipleship costs. Looking at this text, Jesus in the 25th Verse of this 14th chapter says, a large crowd was following Jesus. A large crowd was following Jesus. A large crowd was following Jesus. And then you understand that he did not care about the crowd. He was looking to single somebody out, out of the crowd, say, you're following me. But if you're following me, this is the requirements to follow me. You understand that many of us have people we call friends. But as we know, we have definition that makes someone a true friend. And then when, when issues and crises of life come up, we find those who meet the qualifications. And we find those who did not meet the qualifications. And later on, they come back around when things are all good and they become part of the crowd. Can help somebody out. You're having a birthday party. You're having festivities. You're having all the good stuff. You got free food. You got free drinks. You got free entertainment. They're going to be around. Tell them they got to pay. I'm not coming to your party. It don't cost all that. But a friend will come and donate and give a cost and bless you. Not only will they pay the cost, they'll also bring you a gift. But you got those who say they're your friend only when it benefits them. Jesus is looking at the crowd and said, you're following me probably because you've seen some miraculous things happen. You probably heard of some things I'm able to do, but you are here for you. But I want to know, are you here for me? Because mm, mm. if you look, what he's pointing out that it's not about you. It's about me. Because look how he points out to him and he's looking at the crowd moving, moving and trying to separate disciples from the crowd. Christ defines his followers, if you wish to follow me, you cannot stay in the crowd. 
it's easy to hide in the crowd. Think about how when people go to games, they can say all they want to an athlete because they're in the crowd. Because they can't find them in the crowd. So they can say all they want to you out on the field because I'm safe in the crowd, but let me get you one-on-one. Yeah, you're not as big as you think you are now. So Jesus finds that if you want to be my disciple, you can't stay in the crowd. You have to learn to stand out on your own. I'm talking to somebody here this morning. So the hard truth he gives to them is hard for them to swallow. Look at verse 26. If you read it as I read it, some words stick out in there, and that word that sticks out is hate. Wait a minute, Jesus. You talk about love. You are love. God is love, all this love, and yet you're talking about hate. What's really going on here? Y'all asking some good questions. Jesus is pointing out to them in his Semitic, in the Semitic language, that this is what you would call hyperbole or an exaggeration, if you will, of him playing on the words. Not saying that you have hatred as in malcontent that you is harm upon these people, but he's pointing out that in comparison to me, you love me more. I want to point out to you that God's model throughout the Bible is him first. That's the model for a Christian, God first. You might hear all other things out there, there's kids calling, that's my model, YOLO, you only live once. Let them know that, yes, you can only live once, but you can die twice. And they might look, what do you mean I can die twice? Open up that book of Revelation, go to that 21st chapter and say, and the sea gave up his dead and they threw him into the lake of fire, which was the second death. All those whose name was not written in the Lamb's book of life. So go ahead and live once, but you're going to die twice. But those who know Christ will die, but yet they shall live. Hallelujah. So I'm not going to live once. I'm going to live twice. Some of y'all cats on the way home. And so when we look at what he's pointing out to them, what it means to follow them, the model is God first. So if I am first, then yes, mother, father, brother, sister, your greasy grandpappy, and yourself will be last. Somebody, y'all remember you said that on the playground. Y'all know you said on the playground. And he's pointing out to them that I come first. Everybody else in comparison is left. Now, look at how this hyperbole works about hate. Think about that if you had a priority in your life, right? You have a priority in your life, and somebody calls you while you have this priority, you let them know, can you hold? You let them know, it's not that I don't like you, it's not that I don't love you, but I have a priority, so this comes first. God is pointing out that there's some things in your life that you have to put on hold because I come first. Discipleship calls. So to hate somebody, as he's pointing out, is basically that you will separate yourself from them, meaning you will turn away from, detach yourself to them, and realize I will hold, cleave onto God, and let him be my all in all, and then that will better embolden me and strengthen me to be better for you. Think about how we have to detach. Think about how a child is dropped off to college or dropped off to school. Mother and father now have to detach themselves from that child in order for that child to grow. Y'all catch that? And so same way with us in our lives that we cannot always hold on to our family, but we have to hold on to God. We have to let go and hold on to God so that we can grow. 
Only for so long can I rely on what mama told me, what daddy told me. And then sometimes now I got to go on what did God tell me. And so when we let go of them, we put God first. We seek him first for wisdom, knowledge, and understanding instead of first trying to check the Internet. I don't know what to do. I'm going to get on the Internet. They will tell me what to do. But first, we need to check God and see what he has to say. Now, look at this. So when Christ is first, then following him is the only option. If Christ is first, following him is the only option. Think about it. If someone is in front of you, that's your guide, then you have no choice but to follow the God. So if you put Christ first and, Lord, I'm going to follow you, he's your only option. Many, many times you go to an amusement park, they have a train, and they tell you to keep all arms in, all legs in, you know, tell you to stay on the train, follow our instructions, and you'll be all right. Don't get off the train. Don't do all kinds of things. It's letting you know what to do to be safe. Christ is doing the same way. Say, if you follow me, stay on the track, I'm going to lead you in the direction that you need to go. So in following him, look what it requires us. Verse 27 points us, if we're going to follow him, we must deny ourselves. Pick up our cross and follow after him. And he points out, and if you do not, you're not my disciple. First, you're not my disciple if you don't love me more than anybody else. Secondly, you're not my disciple if you cannot deny yourself. And pick up your cross and follow after me. Can I highlight, can I highlight twice he tells you to deny yourself? Not once, twice so far in this teaching. He talked about how you must love me and, and, or in comparison to your mother, your father, even your life. Now he says now you have to deny yourself and pick up your cross. If, you, if you're seeing what he's pointing out to, that my issue is not how much you love everybody else. My issue is how much you love yourself. If we start looking at our lives and realize that we do love ourselves, think about why we buy all the things we buy for ourselves. We take ourselves out on vacation. We take ourselves out to eat. You say, when I do that, every time you go to McDonald's, go to Red Lobster, you take yourself out to eat. <laughs> you take yourself out to eat more than you take anybody else out to eat. You could have made yourself a bologna sandwich and said, no, I'm going to eat good today. So you love yourself, you take yourself, you treat yourself, right? You could have got the lower grade, but you got the higher grade. You said, I, I could have got that, but no, I want this TV. Could have got this car, but I want this car. We treat ourselves great. So he's pointing out to my issues that how much you love yourself makes me look small. If you are my disciple, I should be big in comparison to you. That you will look to seek and give me all that you have more than trying to hold on for yourself and give me the leftovers. What if God gave you leftovers? Woo-wee! We still will be satisfied, but we won't be as happy. But God says, I come to give you joy and joy abundantly. So he don't give us leftovers. He gives us his best and his very best, which is more than we can ask. And so when we follow him, we follow Christ in a path of self-denial. Whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. To come after Jesus means we're following a path of self-denial, which means we are giving up our own right to live as we think we ought to live. But now we're looking to follow after him. So basically, look what this points out to us, that when we deny ourselves, we deny ourselves to worldly pleasures. Now quiet on me. 
Mm, I'm, I'm going to spend some time. Y'all quiet on me. Y'all didn't say amen. <laughs> Deny yourself to worldly pleasures. Amen. I got somebody with me. The issue that many of us have, that we have not moved from being a member of a church to disciple because we like our pleasures. Why do I need to get up to go and serve somebody when I can stay home and watch my favorite show? Why are you going to call me now at 7 o'clock when my primetime TV show is on? Why are you going to ask me to give up a Saturday to go serve when I work all week long and Saturday is my one day off? Why am I supposed to come to church on Sunday when I work from Monday through Saturday? Sunday's my only day off. You want me to come to church? We don't want to give up our pleasures and our leisures. We'd rather God cater to our schedule instead of us sacrificing and giving up something in order to show God how much we love him. Okay, I think I can move on now. Y'all with me now? And so when we deny ourselves of these worldly pleasures, then we're able to pick up the cross. But you can't pick up the cross until you deny yourself. We sing that song, the old rugged cross. I know in our sanctuary we got a nice, smoothed out, sanded down, painted cross. Even on the communion table we got a beautiful cross symmetrically put together. But at that time, they used a tree. Sometimes it wasn't even a cut tree. Just a tree that they put on your back that's scratching you. Maybe have some splinters in your hand that you got to carry. You know how many people, when they move, they have moving gloves on. Christ, they didn't give them any gloves to carry it across. They just carry it. And so many of us need to realize that and to deny myself means I have to let down at my pride and humble myself and pick up that old rugged cross. Then as I pick up that old rugged cross, it's an outward symbol to others to let them know that I am now under someone else's authority. The problem of when we deny ourselves that we like to have the authority of our own lives. We love freedom. We love freedom. We love it so much, we know, we know the freedoms and the liberties that only we know about that benefit us. If I ask somebody, give me about the 25 of me, you'll, you'll say the ones you know more. I got freedom of speech. I can tell you what I want. We know that one, but you don't know everything else. We, we know the ones, what? Oh, the 13th Amendment. We know that one, right? We know, we know the stuff that frees us. But we forget the other stuff because we know what liberates us. But when we lose our liberty and we come under subjection, then we understand this. There's no longer about me but about him. And then we got to learn his laws. Watch out somebody. Because no longer am I looking how I can liberate myself. Now I'm looking how I can surrender and submit to the authority of the one who has all authority. And the beautiful thing is, is that when we submit to Christ, it's not how Christ submitted to the Roman government. When Christ submitted to the Roman government and carrying a cross, that represented death. That represented death and punishment and grueling, a grueling, gruesome, painful punishment. But when we put on the cross, that represents life, eternal life, everlasting life, joy and submission, death to the world, death to sin, and alive through his blood and his resurrection of his life on the third day. Do you see the difference? And so when we embrace this cross, we're embracing life. 
We're embracing submission. We're embracing his authority. We're embracing understanding that God, we're living and surrendering to you. So I'm dead to this world and his worldly pleasures, and I'm submitted to Christ because he died on the cross. And that's why we as Christians recognize the cross as a symbol of our faith because we know it was at the cross where our penalty was paid. It was at the cross our sins were forgiven. It was at the cross that the sacrifice that was made to redeem us, it was at the cross he cried, Our Lord, forgive them for they know not what to do. It was at the cross that he was nailed and that was our sins nailed to the cross. It was at the cross when the king that came that lived for us died for us. It was at the cross that he showed his love for us. It was at the cross that he defined why he came. For God so loved the world. He came to live not only a life but he lived a life of death. How much more do we need to live a life of death so that we too can live? So do you understand the cost? So now here's what Christ points out. So many of you are not understanding what it's going to cost you. So let me give you some parables here. How many of you here will start building something but not count how much it's going to cost? And if you start building and you don't finish it, will they not ridicule you? Will they not laugh at you? Will they not make fun of you saying how you started but you never finished? So much so that we know the state got on that person and said, you need to build up that Krispy Kreme donuts or you need to do or tear it down. You can't leave a half-built building up there for so long. So he built it up, money went out, closed it down. Something new is in there now. But yet he was forced to how dare you start and not finish. And, and, and we know the same thing. If somebody started building our house and then never finished, you won't let them get away with it. We want people, if they're going to start it, finish it. Don't be halfway with it. And Christ is saying the same thing to us, that if you want to be my disciple, you cannot just be in the crowd. The crowd or members, and that's another thing too, that many of us say, I'm, on, I'm a member of so-and-so. That's great. You're a member of so-and-so's fellowship. The question, next question is, are you a disciple? And now that, that comes into turn, well, what is a disciple? The disciple is the one that is a student of his teacher. Well, yeah, I, I know Jesus. Good. If you know Jesus, then what are you doing? And then now they got to define what they're doing. Are you serving? Because Christ was serving. So when you are a member of a fellowship, you have a role and a responsibility to be a disciple. It's good that you came and you joined. Now you have work to do. He didn't kick them out the crowd. He says, now that you're in the crowd, here's what you need to do. You need to now become a disciple. It's not, it does not matter that you can say, that's my pew, when you can't say, Lord, I'm doing this for you. It doesn't matter if you can have a badge on and show up Sunday after Sunday or have a title and show up Sunday after Sunday when Monday through Saturday you're not doing anything to give glory to the kingdom of God. We need to realize that I'm more than just a member. I'm called to be a disciple. And when I'm called to be a disciple, I understand it costs and I have to be willing to give up my time, possibly my resource, and it might even cost my life, but I'm willing to pay the price because that's what Christ did for us. And so how are we going to say, I want to be like Christ, but we don't want to die for Christ? That don't make any sense. Because to be like him means to live like him, and he lived and died for us. He says, no greater love than this one, what? Than for a man to lay his life down for another. So I say, I want to be like Christ, but I can't give sacrifice. So understand the cost. Then he says, not only will you not build, 
But look what he says to the king. He says, what king will not sit down with his counselors? And look, I got 10,000. They have 20,000. Can we win? Don't look like we're going to win. And if I go out and fight, I'm going to lose everything and possibly my life. So you know what? I'm going to send out and have work out terms of peace because I counted the cost. When we count the cost, we realize what it's going to cost us. And so we, too, need to realize, too, that, that just as this, that look at verse 33. says, you cannot become my disciple without giving up everything you own. You cannot be his disciple. So look at the three things. One, you cannot be my disciple if you do not love me more than everything else, even your life. Two, you cannot be my disciple unless you deny yourself and pick up your cross and follow after me. Thirdly, you cannot be my disciple unless you give up everything you own. Three times he hit us right where it hurts. That you cannot be my disciple until you can make a sacrifice and not live for yourself. But what? Live for me. Think about how every time we go somewhere, it's always about us. You go to the grocery store, it's for you. You go to the hardware store, it's for you. You go to the restaurant, it's for you. And sometimes we think about somebody, we might give them a call, hey, I'm at so-and-so, do you need anything? But it's not every time, am I right about it? It's not every time. Because the majority of the time, we're, we're concerned about us. So Christ is trying to help us change our thought process and make us think of that. Don't always put yourself first, but think about, God, how can I honor you? For you I live and for you I die. Lord, what will I do to bring glory and honor to you? So that means this, that when I go to my job, Lord, how can I honor you? When I go to the grocery store, Lord, how can I honor you? Can I help somebody at the grocery store how you can honor God? Let somebody go in front of you. How's that going to honor God? You're showing patience. You're showing gentleness. Yeah, yeah, you, 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 I see, I've seen it. You see how people with their shopping carts, and they see you, but then they take their eyes off you because they don't have an eye kind of when they cut you off. Because they speed up. Round. <laughs> then they look back as they're unpacking. Yeah, I got you. But you could be a Christian. You could just go look at him and say, I see you too. Go ahead. Now, now they slow down. And they say, no, you go ahead. No, no, you go ahead. Because now they feel bad. But when you show the love and the gentleness of Christ, you see how that works? It's little things that go a long way. When we show the love of Christ, sometimes we get caught up that I got to show the love of Christ because I got to go out on the street corner, give me a microphone and a boombox and tell them, turn and burn, you're going to go to hell. All that, that does not always have to be done. You can just simply come in and tell them, say, hey, man, I love you. Amen. Hey, Jesus cares about you. Hey, go first. Here, cut in front. Hey, I'll give you a ride. Do you need some help? And then they might start talking to you. And then you can say, oh, I just want to do that because the love of Christ was in me. Here, have a piece of my sandwich. Oh, I don't want to eat, take your lunch. Oh, Jesus broke bread. You see how things work? You're going to show them in every aspect of our lives that we are making disciples. Because Jesus tells us to make disciples. And we can't make what we are not. So if you're just a member, you're going to make another member. Come to my church. What do you do? I have to sit on the pew. You can come sit right next to me. Are you going to that meeting? Oh, you don't need to go to that. I'll see you next Sunday. Now, I'll see you Wednesday night. 
Bible study or at the choir rehearsal or usher meeting or deacon meeting or elder meeting or mission meeting or nurses meeting. Not that I'll see you there, but I'll see you Sunday. It should be, hey, can we go out for lunch? Can I pray with you? Or I'll call you. Can I get your contact information? How can we serve and love one another? Because we are not just a crowd. Because in crowds, in crowds, what no crowds are good for? For counting. How large was the crowd? Oh, there's about 5,000. Who are they? I don't know. But 5,000 people were here. Do you just want to be a number? Or you want to be a disciple? A disciple means you have an intimate relationship with one another and with the teacher, and that we're working and making other disciples. And the family is growing, and the cast is cast is. Our community is changing because we are being initial of sacrificing ourselves and giving of ourselves because it causes what? Everything that we have. And so think about being a disciple. It's changing in this world because Christ says that give up everything you own. Think about what you own. Think about what you own. Think about what you own, and it belongs to him. Don't that change now when you open up your wallet? Don't that change when you open up the doors of your house? That you start literally like, all this is his. It's not mine. And if you doubt it, go into your house and mark stuff. Mark stuff that's eternal and mark stuff that is not. And you're going to find out that you got a whole lot of stuff that's not eternal in your house. That you're trying to hold on to. And only a few things that can be eternal in your house. And those are worth, worth saving. So we see what Christ is pointing out to them that I want you to move out of the crowd. And as I studied this text, this great song came to me. Y'all probably remember, you know, Oh, when the saints go marching in. Oh, I want to be in that number, that number, that number. What number is that? Of the saints. And so if I want to be in the number of the saints, I must be a disciple. I cannot just be in the crowd. I have to have a distinct quality about me. And that distinct quality about me is that I want to be like Christ. And Christ showed us, told us how much you have to pay the price. And you know the price that Christ paid. It was his life. But aren't you glad that he got up early that Sunday morning? So all I'm trying to tell you is that discipleship's cost, but guess what? The benefits are more than worth it. So you can think, oh, that I got to give up to follow Christ. I got to give up my money. I got to give up my time. I got to give up this. But he's about to give you a time that will never end. He's about to give you a life that will never end. So we can hold on to all the stuff that's going to perishable, that got a due date, that's going to be thrown away, or you can let it all go say, God, I'm ready for what's eternal. Because it's opposite cost. But the benefits outweigh all that you're going to give up. So that's the challenge. Are you going to stay in the crowd? Are you going to stay just being in the membership? Or are you going to say, I'm a disciple? I have sacrificed. I have given up. My motto is, God is first. And since he's first, everybody else has to come last. And after them is me. I am the least of all of them. And when you put that in order, look what happens. You love God so much that you put him first that you are more forgiving. You're more caring. You're more gentle. You share more. You care more. You give more because of a God who gave you life, who is everlasting, who forgave you, who shows you mercy, who loves on you. Even when you mess up and you realize, God, you do all this for me. How can I not do that? 
for all I need. Every head bowed, every eyes closed. There might be someone here. 